You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Hello. As Pastor Mike said, my name is uh, Jordan. Um, you guys, some of you might not know me, but your kids probably do. I'm with uh, the youth ministry. I'm an intern over there. Um, I also, I'm a Talbot. Uh, yeah, I just want to share God's word as a, with my life pretty much. So I'm super pumped for this awesome opportunity. Like, this is so cool. Like, I spend a lot of my time in a classroom or at home on my Bible software like a nerd. And uh, the fact is, like, it's fun to come out here and uh, share what, I, what, I, what God's put on my heart. So today we're going to be talking about Jesus' role as intercessor for us, but uh, before that, I want to uh, give you a little picture of uh, a story from my childhood. You might be looking at me right now and you're like, dang, that's a sick shirt. That's a nice shirt. He's probably a nice guy. Um, I even ironed this shirt this morning. Yeah, I'm committed, right? Um, but growing up, I'm the, I'm the youngest of my brother. So as the youngest, I knew right away that I could get away with a lot of stuff because I was uh, the youngest and I could just, you know, like fake cry and just get whatever I want, more soda um, or more food or maybe even like a sick day if I just cough, fake, fake cough and I can just stay home. But that reputation one time got me in trouble because I can remember a time with my gram- at my grandma's house with my older cousin who's like six foot tall, like six foot four actually. He's huge and I, I am not huge. Uh, I look like Peter Pan. Like I get it. <laughs> And I know my place in this world. So the fact is, I've had to learn how to uh, like just kind of be quick with, um, like with words. So I can be kind of quick, like witty and kind of a, like go after people like that um, in a fun way, like with brothers and stuff. That's how I used to survive. Because my brother was like a karate dude. He had a black belt. I'm like, I cannot stand that. Um, so I had this reputation. But one time I was talking to my cousin, and I was getting under his skin, put, pressing his buttons, and it was fun, and that's just what, I, as a younger brother, you like to do, and also with your cousins. But one time he pushed me, and he pushed me into a, a window, and it broke. And I went through on the other side, and I can remember lying on the ground thinking, wow, first off, I'm not hurt. Second off, this is great, because I can get him in so much trouble. I can just fake cry, but like my back hurt. Um, I can get him in trouble. And I can remember my aunt, his mom, coming in, and I was like, sweet, this is going to be awesome. going to get him in trouble. And the first thing she said was like, Jordan, what did you do? Again, this reputation of just being the person that would kind of be the troublemaker in the family who got away with a lot of stuff caught up to me. And I got in a lot of trouble. And I remember thinking, oh, this is really bad. This is really bad. This is my grandpa's house. And my grandpa's like the patriarch of our family. He's going to like lay down. Like he's going to like, I'm going to be in so much trouble. But I can remember my brother being also in the room. And my brother went to my aunt and spoke on my behalf and was like, hey, like Jordan's kind of an idiot, but that's the fact is he didn't do anything wrong. He was being kind of whatever, but, my, but the cousin was the one who overstepped the boundary and he's the one that pushed. He should be getting the brunt of the punishment. My brother went on my behalf and he interceded for me in that moment. He pleaded my case. He spoke on my behalf. And this is just an image of what Christ now does at the right hand of God. Last week, Stan, 
talked about Christ rising and the significance of that. And now he's at the right hand of God. Now my job today is to talk to you about what, what, what does it mean to be at the right hand of God, uh, the two aspects of intercession, and why does it matter? So what's the significance of being at the right hand? I mean, this is just a weird imagery for us that we think when we first read it, like there's something here, but w- what does it mean? Well, uh, in warfare... Um, a fully armed warrior would hold his shield in his left hand and in his right hand, he would hold his, his weapon, his sword, whatever it may be. Uh, so the right hand is this active hand. It's, this, it's, a, it's, a, it's an attack hand. It's a powerful hand. This is why the Protestant reformer John Calvin said that this whole imagery of the right hand is borrowed from princesses who uh, would have at their right hand the one issuing commands, and also the one ruling, pretty much the active person. And also, to be at the right hand of the king would be an affirmation of trust and an honor because you would be defending them. To be at the right of someone is defending someone. And we get this in the Bible also. Um, Psalm 109.31 says, For God stands at the right hand of the needy to save them. So this idea of being at the right hand is to save us, to protect us, to have a lot of power. And explicitly, um, the Bible talks about the right hand being powerful in Exodus fifteen six, when it says, Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. So being at the right hand, the right hand just in general, is a power symbol. And Christ is at the right hand because he has all power and all authority. And this idea isn't just to the right hand imagery. It's also just throughout the Bible. Jesus says in uh, Matthew 28 that all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. In Matthew 11, he says, all things have been committed to me by my Father. So Jesus has all the power. He has all the power. And Bible talks a lot about the fact is, what does he do with his power? Like, well, he, the Bible talks about Jesus has the power to forgive. Jesus has the power to secure our salvation. Jesus has a lot of power. Well, what does he use it for specifically? Well, for our verses today, um, Romans 8.34 gives us an idea of what, what he uses his power for. It's, Romans 8.34 says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. So he could use his power in a lot of ways, but he's using this power to intercede for us. Well, what, 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 is, what does it mean to intercede? Well, this idea of intercession isn't just exclusively in the Bible. We find it in everyday life, even governmental affairs. Um, we, a lot of times we send someone into a, uh, in the Middle East or something to make peace for us, to go speak on our behalf to people and build up a relationship, to reconcile differences, to build a bridge so that we can have a, a cordial relationship for the future. Even uh, about a week ago, Tony Blair, the former British Prime Minister, uh, actually just resigned from a, um, a, a, what is it, the Middle East Peace Envoy. Tony Blair was the, was the former British Prime Minister, and he was this. He would go over to the Middle East and try to make peace. He would try to intercede. And this is what we get Um, when we get to the New Testament concept of intercession. It's really not that far from that idea. But the idea of intercession had this uh, growth 
um, over time. The ancient Greeks would use this word intercession to um, express meeting or approaching. And, and also in Jewish literature between the New and Old Testament, um, this word intercession became to explicitly be known as personally petitioning an official to gain a favor. And we get this idea in 2 Maccabees 4.8. And 2 Maccabees 4 is not scripture, um, it's between the Old and New Testament, and we see it more as history as the authority of God. But we can see people using the word intercession in this way. It's gaining steam. So when the New Testament authors um, came to think about how to describe what Christ does at the right hand of God, um, God, used, God dropped this idea that this is what it is. This, is, this, is. this act of intercession is what now Jesus does at the right hand of God. So Jesus died for our sins, he ascended to the right hand of God, and now he's making intercession for us. And the letter to the Hebrews, the author to the Hebrews, um, pictured this as a, as a high priest speaking on the behalf of us. And in, in, the, in the Old Testament, the high priest had a role, um, like on the Day of Atonement, he uh, would go into the Holy of Holies, and he would represent Israel for, before God. And this is what an image of what Christ now does. He speaks on our behalf. And Christ also talked about this um, in Matthew 10, 32. He said that everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. So he's there representing us. And you might think like, okay, this idea of intercession, I'm getting the idea. But you've, no, you've, you've been speaking the words of intercession for all your days as a Christian. Because whenever you say things, when you read verses in the Bible, about, you know, the, through Jesus or through him or how we pray at the end of prayer in Jesus' name. This is this act of intercession. Th- those are what, why, why we say those words because we recognize the fact that he's interceding for us. So intercession is to act between parties with a view to reconcile differences, to plead or beg in behalf of another. This is all throughout the Bible. One of my favorites uh, another example is First John 2, 1 John 2.1 says that if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. And the word advocate has his legal counselor, kind of like this before a court, pleading our case before the judge. And this is what Christ does now. Just like an intersection is where two roads meet, intercession is where God and man meet in the person of Christ. He's there interceding for us. So let me use a quick illustration of how this intercession works. Um, this one aspect of how uh, he's there pleading our case. This might be far-reaching, but imagine the fact that I am a sinner. I make, that was too soon. That was too soon. <laughs> but, uh, but, but I sin, okay? So I pray, then I say, Father, please forgive me. I'm sorry for what I did. I know I shouldn't have done that. Will you please forgive me? Then at this moment, Christ, who's sitting at the right hand of God, turns to the Father and says, may I interject? Again, he's our, he's our counselor. He's interceding for us. He says, may I interject? And then he encourages the Father to forgive us. And this forgiveness is not based, my forgiveness isn't based on me not committing this sin again. Or this forgiveness also isn't based on my overall worthiness. He's not saying, oh, Jordan's never going to do this again, or Jordan's an overall good dude. Like, just let's forgive him. No, this forgiveness is based on Christ, on what he did, on his righteousness, his goodness. He doesn't say to the Father, 
please forgive Jordan because of Jordan. He says, forgive Jordan because of me for what I did. Because the price of my sin has already been paid for by what he did. And he's there as a constant reminder that we are forgiven. He's there interceding for us. He speaks on our behalf. He pleads our case. So he's there to encourage that, that, uh, that we're forgiven for our sins. But that's, that's just not it. There's a little bit more. There's one more thing more about intercession that's super important. Um, it says that uh, Jesus as our high priest is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses and in our struggles so that he can be there to help us in our dark hour. Because he too has had a dark hour. He understands. He's not this like alien. He, I don't know if you guys seen Lilo and Stitch. Like he's not like this Stitch. Like he's not this foreign like kind of alien dude. He's actually someone that we can recognize, that we can look to his life and know that he can understand our struggle. Hebrews 14, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So he's there to help us and he can sympathize with us. And in that verse, when he says that, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us, um, the author does something that doesn't really come out in the, the English. In the Greek, he uses a double negative, an u and a me, which just means there's two words for not. He's just saying not, not, like it's being emphatic. And this does not happen a lot in the New Testament. It's a single digit. Um, but it's always to make a point. And the point is to strengthen a denial. Um, he says that uh, the strength of denial, it means that, uh, you know, not at all, absolutely not, not ever, in no case, so devil negative is used in this sense. Say, there's not a chance in the world that Christ cannot sympathize with us. He absolutely understands our pain because he too was tempted, yet without sin. We are tempted and we sin, but he's tempted and was not and never sinned. So he knows the struggles of our lives. So there's no doubt that he can identify with us. And his heavenly exercise of intercession is based on his earthly ministry of being a man, just his earthly accomplishments. All that prepared him for this role of intercession. It equipped him with empathy um, and also strength to support us when we are struggling. So all that prepared him for this task. Hasn't there been things in your own past that they, in the moment you thought that you were just struggling, but now you can see that God was preparing you for something? That, that those dark hours kind of made you who you are and taught you so, so many valuable lessons? I know my life, my, my own past, I can totally see God's fingerprints all over it. He's been teaching me a lot. Uh, my childhood wasn't that awesome. Um, my parents divorced before I could even remember. First memories of them were not of their love, but of them hating each other, like explicitly hating each other. Um, I had an angry, abusive, absent dad who just kind of showed, like, just disappeared for about 12 years. My mom tried her darndest to like, just make it work, be a single mom, but she crumbled. She couldn't handle it, so she turned to drugs, specifically meth, and with us in the house, and she was doing that with creepy guys over, and she tried to kill herself six times. And I can remember one of the time in seventh grade, she said to us, 
um, I'm going to go kill myself, and it's because of you kids. Like, I was seventh, in seventh grade, that's the most traumatic event of my childhood. And I was like, dang, that, I mean, I want to be like, that's not what I want to be doing when I'm seventh grade. I want to be watching, you know, Spongebob, hanging out. I do not want to be hearing these kind of things. And then my brother, I have another brother who tried to kill himself twice. Um, so, the, I mean, suicide was just kind of like, okay, well, it's September, so it's probably going to happen. And every single time, it was horrible. And I hated it. I hated it. Um, but I know now that God was preparing me for something. He was strengthening me to, I mean, I want to, I feel called to ministry. He was calling me to ministry so that I need to minister to people. But in order to actually minister to people, you need to know what it is to, to hurt. Amen. You know, and, and the fact is that God was always there and he was preparing me. And it's awesome because I'm in youth ministry now. And it's like the greatest kind of thing because I, as a kid, had a hard time with life. And I didn't have a lot of people there. I didn't have a father figure. I didn't have a mother figure. Um, so it's awesome to be there for the kids. Now, for your kids, I'm able to be there. And I can remember uh, a little while back that one of the kids we were talking and helping through his pain, he was going through similar things, and he cried on my shoulder. And he said explicitly, it's awesome that you've been through the things you've been through because you understand. And I can remember thinking, whenever those happen, I get goosebumps because it's like, your past is so worth it. Like, and I have moments of God, bring the pain then. If this is going to help people, then like use it then. Because it's so amazing when you can see your struggles, your tears, help someone in their own pain. So all that prepared me. And also we can look to Christ and look at his life and see um, some of our own struggles. When Christ is up on the cross, he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? And I personally, like, that hits home. Because Father, why have you forsaken me? Was the cry of my childhood. I'd always wondered, why is dad not here? Where is dad? Like, am I not that important that he don't even get a card? So he can sympathize with us in our weaknesses because he's been there. He's been tempted. He's been, he's suffered greatly. He's had his own dark hour so he can be with us in our dark hour. So the fact is that as our high priest, he's able to, he's able to be there and he's able to help us and pray with us. And it's encouraging to know that that we're not the only ones praying. Like, I can pray for myself. We have this church. We do prayer requests. If you have any prayer requests, let us pray for you. We want that. That's, we love that. But it's also encouraging to know that we aren't the only ones praying. We have Jesus praying for us. Because sometimes I'm not that great with words, and I don't know what to pray. And I don't know the words to say. But it's encouraging to know that Christ, as our intercessor, is there praying for us. And he knows exactly what we need. So we're not alone and like the fact that he's present, but even in our prayers, he's there. He's praying for us. And that's his role of intercessor. He wants to speak on our behalf to encourage, uh, to remind, to encourage the Father to, to forgive us and also to be there for us in every imaginable way. And it's encouraging that he's always there. He's always there. And this is what he lives to do. Like he loves this. And intercessor, being an intercessor isn't just something that he threw, like, oh, he died, and then, oh, now what do I do? Now I have to be an intercessor. No, it was always the plan. His role as intercessor is the sequel to his earthly ministry. But again, here's the thing. Usually sequels in movies really are really bad. Let's just be honest. But this, this is really good, because he died, and he went through all that to prepare him for this task. And I, so I don't want you guys to think that now that Jesus is dead, that he's like hanging out at the right hand of God with his Doritos and Dr. Pepper and his Tim Tebow jersey, just waiting for the season to start. Like, that's not what's happening. He's not taking the day off. He's there interceding for us. 
And this is what he wants to do. It's crazy that he uses all of his power. He is at the right hand of God. He has all the power and he uses it for good. Just imagine what you would do with all that power. I know what I would do with all that power. I'd be like, hey, Lakers, you get the first overall pick and unlimited Taco Bell. Like, let's just be honest. That's what I would do. But it's amazing that he has all that power and he uses it to intercede for us. That's crazy. Like, that's crazy that he wants to use it for our good. Not for his own good, but for our good. And it's just incredible to know that that's what he's doing. So, yeah, the fact of him securing our salvation is over. Like, it's, it's, it's finished. As his cry is on John 19.30, he says, it is finished. His act of securing salvation is done. It's finished. But his care for us and love for us is never finished. It's never finished. He's doing it now in heaven. And also, when we get to heaven, that's just going to be a continual period of him loving on us and caring for us. This is what he does. This is what he loves to do. So my prayer is that you let him do it. But I know, I'm not naive to think that, that it's hard. It's hard to let him in for so many reasons. To let anyone in. And I know that you might be thinking right now that, okay, that sounds good, but Jordan, you don't know what I've done. Like, you think that the bad things that you've done make you unlovable. And you think that no one can love you. You think that your sin is too great for him to forgive. And you think, because it's just by your own, because there's things that we have in our life that we don't tell everyone our little dark secrets. Like, and there's things that we've done in the past or things that we're struggling with now that we're just afraid to tell people because we're afraid of what they might say to us and what they might think. But here's the thing. All those little secrets, God already knows all those. And he knows all of them and he still loves us. And I'm, one of my favorite verses of Romans 5, 8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he didn't die for you on your best day. Like when you're like, you know, with your iron shirt. No, he died when you're in your pajamas and you're like 2002 Lakers shirt, like still reminiscing on the past, like bad days, bad days. Sorry. Um, but the fact is he doesn't die for us on our best day. He knows that you're a sinner and that you're going to sin. When he went to the cross, he's, he's not dying just for the past sin and the present sin at that moment. He's also for future sin because he knows we're going to sin. So I don't want you to think that, oh, I'm too much of a sinner for him. He loves interceding for us and nothing you can do can separate you for, from God. So God's love for you is greater than any sin in you. And that's a great comfort. And I'll challenge you guys, maybe write down Romans 5, 8 and just have that be a memory verse for this week, for this year, for your life. I know whenever I feel that way, I remember that he died for me while I was a sinner. He knew what was going to happen. And his sin... My sin isn't too great for him. And I want to go back to Hebrews 7.23, our opening verse, um, to hit on this also. Uh, it says that the former priests were many in number uh, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. So the old priests, they were people and they would die eventually. But now Christ, he never dies. He's always there. He continues forever. Um, his priesthood is permanent. Consequently, this is the important part, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he's always there to make intercession for us. He's able to save to the uttermost. In other words, to the extreme. I'm happy that he can save to the extreme because that's where I'm at. 
Because the more I get closer to God, the more of the sin I see. His light shines close. I see more things and I'm like, oh wow, this is bad. Like I think there's one thing that I got to work on and then I, I do that and I'm like, oh, there's like 15 other things. So he's able to save to the uttermost. So there's nothing you do can separate you from the love of God. Only the fact of just not believing in him. You can just believe him and say, hey, you know what? I'm a bad person. Help me. I know that I should stop what I'm doing. He's going to be there. Also, you might be hearing this and thinking, well, I haven't done a lot of bad things, but you've had a lot of bad things happen to you. You think that, that maybe God doesn't exist, or if he does exist, maybe he's just there watching your life crumble, and he doesn't care. But all the things that we go through, like I said before, are testing us, are preparing us for something greater. Testing has that aspect of it that is, it's different for different people. Um, if you're a parent or a student, you know that the summer is, is just about here. You might be in summer, your kid might be in summer, or just about to go into summer. And at the conclusion of a semester or a school year, you have some testing, you have some exams. And when you get to college, you have different, you have different testing. My girlfriend's an audiology major, and I'm a Bible major, so like, our testing is different. Just like my cousin, he's a science guy. His testing is different. So the same thing happens in our life that I might go through certain things and, um, than my brothers, but the fact is that these different testing doesn't mean that God's not there. It's just that we have different tasks to do. That's why God had all that stuff in my past to prepare me for ministry. And not everyone should have to go through that. Not everyone should have um, all those different hurts. But for uh, someone that wants to be in ministry, I mean, I think it's one of the best blessings because it really taught me so many things. But my cousin's different. I mean, they're going to get different testing. So this is just the aspect of the test is that it's going to be different. And, and I don't want you guys to think that, you know, that I'm, you know, I'm never that person to say, why, why this test happens to me all the time. Like I remember when I first came to Cyprus, I met Josh in the youth ministry, Josh McKay, Pastor Mike's kid. And I can remember like one of the first things I met them both. And I was like, wow, why does he have a dad and I don't? Like, it happens all the time. And there's times I just kind of like look at, I like to look at dads and kids because it's like, why not me? Like, why I never have that? So I understand that you might think, why, why do I have these tests and why do people don't? But the idea is that God has been preparing me for something and he's preparing you for something. And if you're being tested, you can be sure that the teacher is present. And just like in class, when you're taking an exam... Sometimes you get in this trance that you just think it's you and this piece of paper and you feel all alone. But then you can just look up and you see the teacher is over at the desk. And if you have any questions, you can go. And the same thing happens in our lives. Sometimes we get focused on our crisis and we forget our Christ. And we get this in Acts 7, Stephen's stoning. He's getting stoned and he's in this trial and he thinks he's all alone. But he literally looks up and sees Christ at the right hand of God. He's there. In the desk of Christ is the right hand of God. He's always there for us interceding for us if we have a question. So no matter what happens, he's always there. Maybe, this is the last one, uh, maybe you're, you don't think you're like the worst kind of person or maybe not many things have happened to you bad, but maybe you're just independent and you don't want to reach out just because you have a hard time asking for help. And, and, you know, I get that. 
Like, I'm, I'm that way just from my childhood. It made me kind of independent because I had to be by myself. So, like, I'm the type of person when I'm in Target and I'm getting something, like, I cannot ask for help. Like, I just know Jordan, don't do that. And I've been times with my girlfriend, I'm like, she wants to ask for help. I'm like, no, you don't understand. You can't ask for help. It's a sign of weakness. Don't do it. And it makes no sense, but it happens. And I have to admit, it happens all the time. I can't ask for help. I've been in Target like 30 minutes to get something that would have been like two minutes. And I'm like totally fine with that. So I get the idea of being independent. independent. But here's the thing. Being independent is not what we were supposed to do. You know, Christ, the purpose of uh, the Bible and just all that Christ does, he's not, our purpose is not to be really good people, like good moral people. His purpose is to make us dependent people. I mean, he gave the law to show us our sins so that we would go towards him. And Christ came down to show us that he's there for us, that so we'd go towards him. So he wants to make us dependent people. Because he knows that you're not meant to do life alone, although we want to. And I get it. I have a hard time praying for myself. Like, I can pray for other people, but asking for help for certain things, it's just not natural. It's just not natural. Because I think, and you might be the same way, maybe you're independent for a reason. Like, my parents, I would reach out, and they would just disappear, like whatever, and over and over. So I think that's how everyone's going to act. But that's not how Christ is going to act. And just your own lives know that. You can see that him working that way. He's always there to intercede for us because being independent is a great burden. You're not meant to do that. It's hard to carry all that on your shoulders. Let Christ in. He wants to be there. That's what, like, this is, that's what he was all about. Like he said it was, it was better for us. He said to the disciples, it's better for me that I go away. And we think, wow, I want Jesus here. But he knew the role that he would have as intercessor and also for the Holy Spirit to come to help us in our time of need. It's better. He says it's better than him physically being here. And Jesus is never wrong. So I trust him in the fact that it's better. And let's take advantage of that opportunity. Let's not allow the bad things that we've done or the bad things that have happened to us or our independence to neglect this wonderful truth that we're not alone, that Christ is there to intercede for us, that he can understand us, be in our, he understands our, our pain. So no matter what happens, he's there. So I pray that you guys understand that and that you reach out. And also to understand that we just sang a song that it says that you are the hand that reaches out to save us, that he's the hand reaching out. So you might be so feeling like um, that, you know, that you're so dirty of all these things. But this whole idea is not for you to think that I got to clean myself up so I can go up to Jesus and he can help me. No, he understands where we're at. He knows the, the depth of our sin, the depth of our dirt, and he's there for us. So you don't got to put on a pretty face. You don't have to iron your shirt, wear some nice shorts, nice whatever pants. You can understand that no matter what happens on your worst day, he's still there. Nothing can change that. So my prayer is that you understand that and take rest in that. Like, I mean, tomorrow's Monday. Mondays are not that fun, guys. It's not fun. But the fact is, even on our bad days, God is there. Even when the days are bad, our God is good. And let us remind ourselves of that over and over. Let me pray. God, uh, thank you so much for the fact that you're always there, um, that you understand us in our pain, um, that you're not distant from us, that you are near, God. I pray that we take advantage of that opportunity and that we don't push you away um, for feeling that we're not good enough or the fact that, that we're feeling that, um, that you're not there or the fact of just our independence, God. I pray that you're always um, there and that we take advantage of that, God. Um, thank you so much for all that you're doing for us. 
Um, I pray uh, for the next coming week that you strengthen us and that you remind us that we don't have to clean ourselves up in order to approach you, that we can be dirty and that you approach us in the depth of our sin in our dark hour. God, thank you so much for understanding, for always being there and never giving up on us. Thank you so much. Um, We pray this in your holy name. Amen.